Welcome to Christ Church Anglican. We hope that you are blessed by today's sermon. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Oliver, come up here for just a second. I want to recognize you. Uh, this is a very special day. Uh, Oliver has graduated, and this is his last day acolyting. Uh, but lo and behold, I just informed him that there is a great opening in the lay reader chalice bearer ministry. <laughs> and we look forward to seeing you there if you feel called to do so. But you pray about it and Joe will call you tomorrow. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We are so blessed with all of the acolytes who serve here. Uh, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, Kenzie, at the end of the year, will be getting her acolyte scholarship check, and uh, it's going to probably clean out our entire operating fund. Uh, <laughs> she's been so great. Uh, today's reading is a challenge, but as we dig into it, it provides so much hope. So I want to look at it, but we have to begin by noting that Jesus is in the middle of his progression to Jerusalem. This is in chapter 9, verse 51. Luke notes that at that time, Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. This was not an excursion like, oh, let's go down there for a trip. This was, I'm going to die and be resurrected. And I'm headed in that direction to do that. And along the way, because this is the time when he is moving towards the end of his earthly life, uh, he was teaching and training, and he assertively prepared people for his death and resurrection and his kingdom. And slowly but surely, as Jesus approaches Jerusalem, his life and his ministry are coming to a very critical point. And he is teaching with a growing sense of urgency. Look at last week's gospel reading. I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptism to be baptized with. And how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. Now Jesus is not simply saying it's too bad that people are bad and this is going to happen. He is saying this is the consequence when holiness confronts evil. My presence on this earth divides the good and the evil. And how you respond to me, Jesus, determines how you will be judged. When we say God loves the sinner but hates the sin, we mean it. God loves you dearly, wonderfully, but he cannot abide your sin or mine. Holiness and sin can't coexist in God's kingdom. I knew a youth minister one time who took a perfectly clear glass of water and he offered, asked if anyone would take a sip of it. And everybody raised their hand and said they'd be happy to. Then he went to the toilet and got an eyedropper and put one drop of toilet water in there. And all of a sudden the volunteers all dried up. Holiness and sin cannot coexist. They cannot be together.
in time, we will either be covered by our sin or we will be covered by the blood of Jesus. We must decide how our life will go. Okay? Jesus is telling us that if we choose to identify with our sin rather than to identify with God, then we are choosing death and judgment. Whether we choose greed or pride or adultery in all of its myriad forms or malicious gossip, if we won't let God near that area of our lives, then we are choosing that behavior over God. In fact, that becomes our God. And we are choosing spiritual death. God must be our choice, our first choice, our every choice. Now, will this somehow diminish our lives? No. When God is first, everything else is better. We love our friends and families better when we love God first because we can love them with the love we receive from God. We live better lives when we love God first. As Jesus said in Matthew 6:33, seek the kingdom of God above all else, above all else, and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. How we relate to God is truly a matter of eternal life or death. We cannot slip Christ in among our other concerns the way we maybe slip a family Bible in between the other magazines on the coffee table and expect him to know us when we see him face to face. We cannot expect salvation from an acquaintance. Jesus is not our mascot who makes us proud, and he's not our therapist who makes us feel better. Jesus is our Lord and God, our Savior and our Judge. Jesus is our life, or he is nothing of consequence in our lives. Everybody here, including me, has tried to make Jesus a part of my life. You know, I'll bring him in. He's a part of that with work and with all these other things. And it doesn't work. Jesus always gets shunted out. Jesus has to be first, always. It's the point of today's gospel. The person who asked the question, along with all the other people who were standing around there, assumed that Jesus would affirm that only a few will be saved. However, Jesus didn't affirm that at all. In fact, Jesus didn't answer the question directly. The question, will the saved be few, became, will the saved be you? Jesus consistently pressed people to make a personal response to the gospel invitation. He wanted people to take a close look at their own standing before God. And with that in mind, let's look at what Jesus teaches about entering the kingdom of God. First, Jesus said the kingdom of God is entered by effort. I didn't say that. He did. Okay. Jesus said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Now, the Greek word for strive is a word for intense exertion. It means to struggle, to fight, to labor fervently. As a matter of fact, the root of that word is the same word we use for agonize. Okay? Jesus' point is that you must struggle, fight, and labor fervently to enter the narrow door that leads to salvation. Now, someone may say I'm teaching that we are saved by our own works, and I am not. Okay? 
That's not what I'm saying. Actually, I hope I'm not teaching anything that the Bible doesn't teach. Because as Father Homer Rogers used to say, if I ever say anything against that's original about the Christian faith, you need to shoot me. (laughs) The Bible is very clear that we are saved by the grace of God and not by our own works. Nevertheless, Jesus said that we must strive to enter through the narrow door. Paul himself said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15.10, But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Dallas Willard summarized this difference well when he said, Grace is not opposed to effort. It, uh, it is opposed to earning. Effort is action. Earning is attitude. You have never seen people more active than those who have been set on fire by the grace of God. Think about marriage. It makes all the difference if you put a little effort into it. Doesn't mean you weren't married before you put some effort into it. But it makes all the difference. I think of, I think of this often, uh, salvation often like, Okay, I'm saved, and I am in, there's this incredible palace with incredible grounds and forests before that, and the palace itself is amazing, and I am in the entry hallway. That's salvation. But the kingdom is out there, and I need to strive to know the fullness of the kingdom. And to enjoy it. You know, in marriage, if you think about earning something, your marriage is going to start hurting badly. Um, I've known people who, they started out with honeymoon love. And sometimes they didn't transition too well into marriage love, which are two completely different things. And uh, they started thinking in terms of my part, their part. I'm doing my part. I've earned my right, but they're not earning their right. And if you ever start thinking that you're owed something by your spouse, go get marriage counseling because your marriage will soon be on the rocks. Okay? It's not 50-50. It's 100-100. Okay? Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Okay? Everyone wants to go to heaven, but they want to go on their own terms. But Jesus makes it clear in Scripture, his are the only terms possible. I am the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's only one door. It's a narrow door. And it's only entered by effort. That is, you must seek the kingdom of God. You must desire God. You must ask God to give you faith to believe. You must ask God to enable you to repent. You must keep listening to the gospel. You must ask God to work in your life to ensure that you enter through the narrow door. You must make the effort to put God first in your life. When Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness... 
that takes effort. I, just, I, don't, I don't do that by just waking up in the morning going, okay, now I'm doing this. I've got to put my mind to it. I've got to put my heart to it, my soul to it, my strength to it. It's just like you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That takes effort. It doesn't come naturally to us sinners, okay? So, the first thing is that the kingdom of God is entered by effort. Not by works, but by effort. And then the kingdom of God, secondly, is entered through a relationship. Listen to Jesus in Luke 13, 25 through 27. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know you or where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you or where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. They are saying, we, we met you once. You were an acquaintance of ours. And he's saying, I don't know you. I remember growing up in East Texas, the first question someone who didn't know you would ask is you'd tell them your name, and then their next question would be, who are your people? And uh, it was a really, actually a pretty clever question when you think about it. Um, but Jesus saying, I don't know you. I don't know your people. <laughs> you know, you've got to have a relationship with me. There's nothing subtle in Jesus' story. This little parable of the householder and his would-be guest adds a note of urgency to the exhortation to strive to enter through the narrow door. And it also spells out the reason why some will be unable to enter. The repeated charge, I don't know you or where you come from, tells us the key to salvation is not simply a matter of lifestyle or of keeping the rules, but of relationship with Jesus The kingdom of God is not entered merely by association with Jesus. It is entered through that personal relationship with Jesus. God doesn't save people who merely want to be saved, attend church, and participate in church ministry. No, God saves sinners who cry out to him for mercy. God saves people who know they need God, and they cry out to him. God saves people who have entered into a personal relationship with him through faith and repentance. So, first, the kingdom of God is entered by effort. Second, the kingdom of God is entered through a relationship. And third, the kingdom of God is entered with a multitude. Okay? Contrary to the common view of Jesus' day, the saved will not be a few. Okay? People assume that good Jews would be saved and probably no one else except a few converts, maybe. And Jesus said here, because there will not only be Jews in heaven, but there will also be people from all the nations. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. People from all nations will be represented at the wedding feast of the Lamb in heaven. And apparently, Jesus says, we will be surprised by some of who are there seated at the higher tables. Perhaps we had judged them in this life as not as good as we are. And that's exactly what will cause us the bewilderment. 
when we see that Jesus had a different opinion about them. Perhaps because he knew them. Because it's not going to be how good someone is, but how repentant someone is that will open their hearts to God's saving grace that allows us and strengthen us to put effort into knowing God, into desiring God, and into being in a relationship with God. I believe that's what we're talking about here. Know Christ. Be in a relationship with Christ. And put in the effort in that relationship to walk and talk and to know and love him with all your heart, soul, your mind, and your strength. Put your trust in Jesus alone for the gift of eternal life. Repent and turn from your sins. Do this and you will be saved. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. For more information, feel free to visit us online at ccanglican.com. We hope you will join us again soon.